Uh, please join me in a brief word of prayer. We'll get into the word directly. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you again. It is an, an honor to be a vessel used by you to share your word, Lord. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that the, despite the imperfect vessel, Lord, we know the pure word of God does not return void. And so, Lord, uh, thank you uh, for however way you want to use me to minister the word. And, and I thank you for the hearts of the people who are prepared to receive it and have a doer of the word <laughs> attitude. Uh, pray your blessings on them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, <clears throat> this is my uh, third week um, on a series of messages called Wise as Serpents, Harmless as Doves. And uh, today I want to, the passage I'm going to be uh, covering today uh, illustrates I believe perfectly the title, which is tailoring the gospel message to your audience. Tailoring the gospel message to your audience. Um, and I, I found a lot of uh, definitions, but the one I settled on, uh, I chose tailor make. I, I wanted to look up, what is it to tailor make something? You know, and... Uh, my good friend Miriam Webster had this de definition for me. Tailor make is to make or adapt to a particular use or purpose or to the needs of an individual. In other words, the intent of today's message really is to encourage us all to present the gospel in a way that your audience can understand. Not everybody had Christian parents, that everybody grew up in church, that everybody is familiar with Christian ease, right? And so we have to be able to relate to and present the gospel message in a way that people can process it, be convicted by it, and respond to it. The Apostle Paul gave us an excellent example, I believe, of this in Acts chapter 17, uh, beginning in, I'll begin in the 16th verse today. Acts chapter 17, beginning in the 16th verse. <clears throat> now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Hmm. So here it is, Paul in Athens. I would encourage you to read all of chapter 17 because Paul is in Athens because he and some of his co-laborers have gone to other places with the gospel message. And you've had troublemakers run them out of town, so to speak, run them out of town because they're not wanting the gospel message or the fruits thereof in their communities. Yet, it speaks to their persistence in sharing the gospel. They go to one place, they share the gospel, some people become believers, others strike, others stir up trouble, they chase them out, they go to another place, they do the same thing, cause trouble but and finally Silas and them told him hey you going on to Athens we'll stay here 
and Paul goes to Athens and he's waiting for them. He sent word for them to join him as soon as possible. And so he's sitting there. But he's not just sitting there waiting for his boys to arrive. He's still focused on the gospel message. And he's out there in the public square. He's out there amongst philosophers. He's out there preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Amongst people who do nothing but share or listen for some some new truth to embrace. So he's waiting in Athens. And there's something that provoked him or concerned him in his spirit. He's looking out over the land, not with harsh criticism or judgment, but he's provoked, he's distressed within him because he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, he could break out the old fire and brimstone and tell them all they're going to hell. That they're fools, what they believe, and this and that and the other, and just attack and crush their worldview and have all of them close to him. But he doesn't do that. He sees the idols. He knows what they represent. He knows there's only one God, but these people don't know that. They only know what they think they know. They only believe what their worldview allows them to believe. And in order to connect with them, you're going to have to step into their worldview in ways that aren't disrespectful and rude in order for them to be open to hear what you have to say. I didn't say compromise. Paul did not compromise. He's preaching Jesus and the resurrection in this public square. So, not just in the public square, he reasoned with them in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons who didn't believe Christ was the uh, Messiah. And he's out in the marketplace every day sharing the good news. And he's presented it in such a way that some philosophers conversed with him. And they took him to the Areopagus. And they were intrigued. Some of the best and brightest minds. Continually gaining knowledge. Paul told Timothy that there are those that are forever learning but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. You can learn a lot of stuff. We can give a lot of information. We can wow people with how much scriptural knowledge and stuff that we have, but at the heart of the matter is what is the truth concerning who God is, where, how we stand before him? Do we... You know, do, do we stand condemned before him or do we stand redeemed before him? What is the truth about God? What is the truth about creation? What is the truth about salvation? And there are many in the public square that don't want to hear it, but there are those that need to. And it doesn't matter what their education level is, even Even the brainiacs need to hear the gospel. And I'm not meaning that in a disparaging way. Even the smartest, even the most brilliant among us need to hear the gospel. They may be holding on to some other things that they have their peace and comfort in. And they're going to need to know in some kind of, in some no uncertain way, that their hope and comfort in that is fleeting. That it won't give them the eternal 
the eternal peace and eternal life with the Lord. Uh, that, that they can only get with the Lord. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Hmm. Before I move on to my next point, I want to talk, I want to interject something about idols. Paul looked out and saw idols everywhere. What do we see when we look out over our communities? What do we see when we surveil our society, this world? Do we see what Paul saw when he overlooked Athens? Because we have idols everywhere. I pray that we are seeing it. And that we, like Paul, are disturbed by it. Not in a way that produces condemning hearts, but in a way that provokes us to action. That, that, that provokes us or compels us to get into the public square to share the gospel. I'm not hearing much excitement about that, but that's okay. I'm, I'm here to whet the appetite. You know, that's not just something for the missionaries. That's not just something for the pastors and full-time ministers and whatnot. That is the job of the church, the bride of Christ. And, but, but just think about, uh, I want to enlarge your perspective about idols. We're not just talking about Graven images, although that can be it, you know, money, jewels, and so forth. Wealth, the pursuit of it, can be an idol. For me, football was an idol. It was the source of everything I felt that I needed for my family and everything. And I sacrificed everything to get to that at one point until the truth of that pursuit was revealed to me. And it was revealed to me that what my heart really yearned for could only be received in Christ. Professional success can be an idol. Achievement. Like a Football, athletic achievement, we'll put it under that. Uh, security could be an idol. Uh, obviously, a person. You know, even someone you love can be an idol. Someone you want to marry can be an idol. Don't let an individual or the pursuit of a relationship with the individual outrank your relationship with God in your life. Those are just some examples. Are we able to recognize the idols of our time when we see them? And how do we feel about that? I just want to tug on your heart a little bit because we can become desensitized to things we shouldn't be desensitized to. 
especially when things are so pervasive. Let's continue back in uh, Acts 17. I want to go to verse 22. Not sure how I want to chop this up, but uh, we'll go as the Lord leads. So Paul, now keep in mind, verse 21, the Athenians... And the foreigners who live there, they spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. It's all about something new. Paul has brought something new to the table. And he was brought to the Areopagus, and they want to know the teaching that he's presenting. So he's been invited to present this to the Areopagus. Now, this opportunity would not have been possible if he hadn't been about the Father's business in the first place. I want to point that out. He was in the synagogues, engaging the Jews and the devout people. He was out in the marketplace every day, hearing patiently. I don't know how much it must have graded on him. I don't know. Uh, but it seemed, seemed that he was patiently waiting his turn. Other people spoke other philosophies. Other people, other people spoke other belief systems and so forth. But when it was his turn, he shared the gospel. Wasn't any fights. Wasn't shouting over each other. There was no keeping it real in the terms that we use it today. He was keeping it real with God. He wasn't shaken. He wasn't offended by people spreading what they believed. He just was confident in the truth that he knew and in his God. And so having been given that door of opportunity, he walks through it. So Paul, verse 22 standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Before I continue this passage, I cannot just glance by that. He could have said a lot of things there, and he could have said some things that were damaging or offensive. But he said the truth, but he said it in a way that was palatable. He said it in a way that was complimentary. Hey, I perceive that you guys are very religious. You guys aren't phonies. You guys are committed to things of the spirit. You are, your, your pursuit is real. So that's a quality of yours that I admire. I, I perceive that you guys are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Think about that. He knows good and well these people don't know God from Adam. But when he was observing, he was, this is why it's important that we have the right heart when we're observing our surroundings, when we're observing the crowd, when we're observing our community. He doesn't just see what's wrong, but he saw what he observed. He saw hearts that at least implied a desire to want to know God. They acknowledge we don't know him. There are some gods we think we know, but we got this inscription here to the unknown God. And he looked at it as an opportunity. He said, him whom you say is unknown, I've come to introduce him to you. The unknown God you can know. So he uses where they're at as an opportunity to connect with them 
He steps into their world and uses that opportunity to present the gospel to them. It's brilliant. It's not watered down. It's not compromised. He observed, saw an opportunity to present the gospel in a way that would stick, that would, that would prick their ears. I perceive you're very religious because as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I can just visualize in my mind he, that they're giving him their rapt attention. They're listening. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they, seek, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So, Man, in just a few verses, he's gone from creation. <laughs> he's gone from Adam to Jesus. In just a few verses. No, no, there is a God. And this God is supreme. And this earth we're living on, he created that. Everything that's in the earth, he created that. The skies, the heavens, he created that. And our very existence... He created one man, and all mankind has stemmed from that one man. He's determined in allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, and that it is the will of God that men should seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, in that little sentence right there, God has put it in the heart of man to seek him. And you know what? As hard as y'all have been trying, you're not that far. He's closer to you. He's more accessible to you than you think. Many of you think you've got to work your way to him. Many of you think that you've got to climb mountains and overcome hurdles, but no, it's the way to this God is easier than you think because the salvation, the reconciliation with him, the salvation from him is available by grace through faith. It, it's, just, it's just beautiful. In verse 22, I know I mentioned it before. I just can't help but reiterate it he does not begin by attacking everything they believe. How many of you know when you're trying to reconcile, the attack method doesn't work very well? <laughs> How many of you know when you're trying to reason together, you can't just lob insults from each corner and expect that to miraculously end in reconciliation at the end. Right? You're going to have to find a common ground. You're going to have to see the virtue in one another. You're going to have to look, you're going to have to prioritize the things that should bring you together rather than highlighting each other's faults. But he does not attack them in what they believe. 
He acknowledged the fact that they're very religious and that they believe in something. How many of you know believing in something makes a difference? There are some people who have found some direction in their life from believing in something, even though what they're believing in is the wrong something. There's something powerful in belief. Unfortunately, all paths not rooted in Christ will lead to a dead end. But I'm just saying that to make a point, that belief is powerful. People... There's a difference between someone who believes in him or herself and someone who doesn't. There's a difference between someone who believes they have a purpose in life and someone who doesn't. There's a difference between someone who believes they are value, valuable, they have value, and someone who doesn't. So what we believe can have a profound impact on the direction of our lives. It affects our mentality. It affects our attitude. So at least Paul is complimentary of the fact that, you know what? I respect that you believe in something. I want to shift over I want to continue this wonderful message in verse 28 and I'll I'll back up to verse 27 that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring now he even makes these quotes that are references to two of their well-known poets. There's another connection point. What I'm saying here, even a couple of your renowned poets have said. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, there was a time of ignorance that God overlooked, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that man being Christ. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, does any part of this message so far sound compromised? Watered down. Don't all speak at once. So I'm going to say it's not rhetorical. I'm actually asking. All right. <laughs> It's amazing how he can give them a little something that he appreciates about them and yet present the unadulterated, unfiltered, uncompromised gospel to them. See, we don't have to do tricks. We don't have to uh, water it down. The message will resonate with hearts that have been connected to The message will resonate with the minds of those whose attention we've gotten, we've earned.
And our ability to do that is affected by our perspective going into it. How do we view the unbeliever? How do we view the sinner? We have to view them in truth of God's word so we know that uh, that they are not saved and that and that they are, apart from Christ, condemned to eternal damnation, right? But we also know the truth that it's not God's heart for any of them to, right? And we know the truth of the commission that God has given us and what he's called us to as his ambassadors in the earth. And so we have all of that that we have to try and, it, try and bring it together and do something with it. That's God honoring. Do something with it that can make a difference in people's lives in an effort to snatch people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so he tells them there's only one God. Now, this is a crowd that believes in many gods. There's only one God. And there was a time when ignorance was an excuse, but now you're without it. And that God commands repentance, which means you're going to have to turn away from your idols and turn to this God because he's not going to share his Godhood. He's not going to share that, that, the God level with anything else because he alone is God. And he presents that in a definite way to what would be considered a tough crowd. That's not the kind of crowd I'd like to walk into to try and preach the gospel because I know there's going to be a pushback and a resistance and a counter and this and that and the other. Well, it's not the kind of crowd I would used to want to walk into. If I find myself, I'm not looking for it, but if I find myself in it, I'm cool with it. But I want to be like Paul. I want to look for it. That God may be glorified. You know, I'm not going in with some snarky bumper sticker attitude that, or some snarky attitude that I'm better than you or this or that and the other and I'm looking down at you because I know God and you don't. No, no, no. I pray that I'm going into it with the heart of my God to give you every opportunity to come to faith in Christ and get to know and taste and see that he is good. To know, give you the opportunity to know the salvation of the Lord. Are you hearing me today? For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. And he wants us to reproduce. He wants us to add to the offspring of God. So Paul, what did Paul do? He demonstrated an ability to step into their world without disrespecting their worldview. So I want to put that challenge up before you. You can step into someone's world. We learned in Growing Kids God's Way, Christy and I, this, this concept uh, when, when rearing our children that to not just get them to conform, the goal is not just to get them to conform. The goal is not just to get them to comply, but the goal is to reach their hearts. The truth that, so whenever you do discipline them or whatever you do, you challenge them to something, make sure you tie it to a biblical principle. They may not get it initially, but over time, as they grow and develop, the why of it, will crystallize. Even if they're too young to get the why of it, 
you're disciplining them to the doing of it. But the objective is to fill their moral, uh, what's it called, Kristen? Warehouse. To fill their moral warehouse up with God's truth. So that at some point, when that transition, as the transition is occurring, they're learning to be governed out of their moral warehouse so that when mom and dad is not around, they can still do what's right for the love of what's doing right rather than for the fear of consequence. That's why it's important to reach the heart because otherwise they'll just do what they're supposed to do as long as their authority figures is around to, to give them, to make them fearful of not doing what's right. But when authority figures aren't around and that fear is gone, you're going to need something other than fear. So he said that, and he said, uh, teach them to do right for the love of virtue. But when our kids were in rebellion, and I know it's hard to imagine canning kids in rebellion. But there were a few times. And let's just say, you know, dad's temperature had boiled a little, boiled over a few times. And I mean, hey, that's just, that's just how it's going down. This is how I said so. Oh, don't want to hear it. It's, it was harder to do this, but that same curriculum told us that, okay, how important it is to get into their world at times and how a lot of stuff can be accomplished during times of non-conflict. So I was prepared to deal with conflict, but I wasn't really fully aware of how much can be done in the raising of our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord during times of non-conflict. And that's, that's the time when you win their heart. That's the time when you can get into their world and see what makes them tick and what their fears are and what their desires are and what their aspirations are and so forth. Things that create the, a kind of a bond and connection that Paul created with that crowd that is effective regardless of the relationship. We found it to be effective in our own family with our kids. And the more we put in the work to, to connect with them, with whether it be daddy and daughter dates and, 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 and just finding things, video games, believe it or not. I know they're terrible. <laughs> they can be, but they're not, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever it is that you can find, uh, theater, musicals, you know, uh, 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 different things that they're interested in, I've learned to get into their world. And in their world, we find connection and ability to relate on a deeper level. And I found as a result of doing that, when those times of correction come, there has been enough invested into the relationship bank account that there is enough, there is enough there to make the withdrawal needed. A withdrawal of correction. At least now they know it's coming from the heart of someone who cared enough to get in their world. And that can make a lot of difference as to how they receive it. And respond to it. I've seen this work in my own family and in my own life, and I'm telling you, it works just as effective in an open setting where the crowd is not filled with loved ones and family members and whatnot. People want to know how much you care. And if you invest enough effort to get to know where they come from and be able to relate with them where they're at, you'll find yourself getting more buy-in and, and at least 
you'll get a listening ear to what you have to say. There are no guarantees that that's going to lead to a salvation. But it's almost a guarantee you'll get a listening ear. And hey, man, it, that, that's a win. If we can get somebody to listen, that word will not turn void. Even if that doesn't happen, if, even if the desired outcome doesn't happen there, it's a seed planted that might bloom at a later time. So Paul demonstrated an ability to step into their world without disrespecting their worldview, and this eventually gave him the opportunity to challenge their worldview within his presentation of the gospel. And then it culminates with him presenting Christ. As I wind down here, I want to go back to Verse, so I'll start at verse 30, I'll finish at verse 34, and then we'll start to bring it to a close. Again, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising that man, him, Christ, from the dead. Let's look at their response. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Hey, you present the gospel message, expect some mocking. Expect some scoffing. Expect some hard hearts. Hey, this is not a fairy tale where there's a happy ending at the end of it all the time, right? But, but don't be fearful of the response just be committed to obey God and present the truth remember you stepped into their world you've not disrespected their worldview. you have their attention you were given the opportunity to present the gospel praise God for that but some mocked but others everybody say but others but others said, we will hear you again about this. All right. See, it starts with stepping into their worldview. Stepping in. Not, not necessarily going in with the wrecking ball right off the bat, but going in, relating, showing some respect, getting into their world without being dismissive. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. That makes it all worth it right there. There were some who mocked. There were some who wasn't ready, but they said, we want to hear more. And there were others who followed him and believed. This wasn't a church service. People didn't come there expecting to hear about Jesus. But these people were, like a lot of people in the world, they don't know God, but there's something else they don't know. They, they don't know that in their pursuits to fulfill the void in their life, they're really, their heart is really crying after and pursuing God, the God of their salvation, the only true and living God. They are deceived and they are ignorant of that fact, but that's really who they're pursuing because he's the only one who could fill the void that they have. They just may not be in circles where they can hear the truth. Those guys would have never heard the truth if the only place the truth could be shared was in the church. That's why we need missionaries going all over the world, to go into those places where they would not ever otherwise have heard the gospel 
God sends people to go take the gospel to them. And we've got so many people worshiping idols in our communities, different forms of idols in our communities. And they're doing what they know to do. They need someone to come into their world and present the gospel in a way that they can process it and have a legitimate chance to respond in faith. Won't make sense to some. They'll mock it at least that day, but there may come a day when they'll shift from the mocker group to the, we were here more from you on this matter group. And then there may be another day they'll shift from that group to, you know what? I'm loving that gospel message. I'm ready. Here I am, Lord. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I am yours. And what a glorious day uh, that will be for all who come to faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So... Paul's gospel message didn't persuade everyone that day. But he presented the gospel with clarity and with respect. And some were persuaded. I'm not going I'm not going to obsess over the number that wasn't I'm going to celebrate the sum that were persuaded. If heaven can rejoice over one sinner that repented, we can rejoice. We can really party over some. Amen? Amen. So you don't have to save the whole community. You don't have to save the world. You don't have to save the nation. Present the gospel and let the Holy Spirit work. And if some mock Some will think on it and want to hear more, and some become believers. Let's not be disappointed about that. Let's rejoice because God gave us an opportunity, and God used us to persuade some. Some went from didn't want to hear it, never gave it a thought before, to undecided. That's movement. And some went from undecided to I've decided to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, I'm I'm getting excited about that. And God's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen? The burden was not on Paul to save the listeners' souls that day. That wasn't his burden. His burden was to present the message. All he could do was be faithful to God in presenting the gospel. The rest was up to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did his work. Brought conviction and people were uh, convicted and uh, became believers. And so when you hear passages like we need to be prepared or ready to give an account for those, to those who want to know the reason why we believe. You know, it made me think as I was preparing for this message, how, how do we get to that point? How do we get to that point? I mean, Paul's example is how we should get to that point. He entered into an arena that wasn't an environment that glorified the true and living God. But he did it with respect and, and, and a clear gospel message. And people responded to that with questions. And he's able to give a reason why he believes He didn't try to force something. He didn't come in being uh, offensive. He didn't come in combative, which 
is just like Jesus. All that's not necessary. As a matter of fact, all that's a hindrance. Because people can't see past your attitude. And then you wonder why people aren't responding to the truth and why can't I get an opportunity to present the gospel? Well, it, it, it assess, self-assess and make sure the heart is right. And, and pray to God and ask God for wisdom on how to present the gospel in a way that people can process it. To tailor the gospel presentation in a way that people can receive it. From initial point of contact all the way through to the conclusion of the gospel message and hopefully their responses of faith in Christ Jesus. So I want to conclude in Romans 1. I know I referenced one earlier. I think I started in verse 18. I did that intentionally. I want to conclude with Romans 1 verses 16 and 17. Paul, these are the words of Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness that brings life can only be attained by grace through faith. So we stand in righteousness, the offspring of the living God, by the grace of God. And this righteousness is a gift to us by grace through faith. So what does Ephesians 2 say? So no man can boast. So we should not be having attitudes that, that are basically boasting, boastful. Attitudes towards people that don't know the Lord as though we are, have a boastful heart. Because we only stand where we stand in God because of his great mercy and his boundless grace. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he took our sins upon him. So we don't need bells and whistles. We don't need any extra uh, attitudes and stark. We don't need to be acting like the world acts when they try to win an argument. How well has that worked out for the world? It hasn't worked out. Um, stuff doesn't get resolved with the eye for an eye and everyone looking out for his or her own best interest and uh, everyone having their own moral standard that they, uh, <laughs> that, that they live by and apply. The solution is in Christ and in him alone. Amen? I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I pray, I hope, I hope the intent of this message really uh, rang true to you. I hope the, the point of the message, the point of the message really rang through. And I hope that it challenges you, challenges us all to really think about our approach to witnessing, our approach to propagating the gospel, our approach to winning the lost, our approach to carrying out the Great Commission. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I lift up all your precious sons and daughters today. Lord, we have a hearts to please you. 
We all desire to hear someday when our days are coming to an end on this earth, we all desire to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. We desire to hear from you, Lord, you've run a race the race you've won has been, uh, you ran has been well run. And you have done the will of my Father. Come, you blessed of my Father. Come inherit. Here's your crown of life. Come inherit the kingdom that I've promised. Lord, we desire to please you and we don't always know the best way to do it. Lord, I pray that you give us all wisdom. What we've learned through Paul's example today, may whatever the, the principles that are in that, that uh, were demonstrated by Paul, the convictions, The wisdom in his approach, he was certainly wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove in his, uh, in his approach to, to, gain an to gain the attention of the audience in such a way that he could present the gospel with them giving him their full attention. And by so doing, their hearts were reached with the truth and the Holy Spirit moved and jarred people away from their worldview. Jarred people away from worldviews that were not founded on the glorious truth of your word. And some were persuaded. Some were persuaded to give it a second thought. Some were persuaded, were convinced. They came to faith in Christ that day. Lord, we want that to be realized in our lives today. And I know as much as we might want that, you want it even more. So, Lord, convict our hearts as we look around our communities, all the idols and things that are there. I invite you to trouble us, oh God. Not in a way, you know, trouble us in the way that Paul was troubled. in a way that compels us to enter the arena and let our light so shine among men that they may see our good works and glorify you. There are warriors in this sanctuary, warriors for the kingdom of God. There are soul winners here. There are missionaries here. And some of those missionaries will be local and some of those missionaries will be called to other places. But I pray that we all hear the call and that we all launch out and make ourselves available, fully available, that we might be used as Paul was used in Athens. I 
I thank you for hearing me, Lord. You say where two or more agree is touching anything, it shall be done. That which is according to your will. So in Jesus' name, we ask it all. And all who agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 Lord, we thank you, and we give you glory and praise. Hallelujah.